Well, good morning, Hillcrest. I'm uh, Nate, one of the pastors on staff here. Good to see you all this morning. Thanks for being here. Give yourselves a high five. Person next to you, just give them a high five. Hey, we're here this morning. Good job. Hey, it was like uh, just over a year ago, I stood before you as one of the candidate, as the candidate for the lead pastor role here at the church. And um, I, I started my sermon by saying, uh, what is it that you're willing to fight for? We talked about battles and conflict in our lives. And then after uh, church, I headed down the hall and all y'all got together, Clarissa, uh, all y'all got together to take a vote. And I remember I was nervously pacing down the hall and vote was yes. And we started to make plans to come here to Kansas City. And that's been, yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah. Um, Thank you for that. It it was, uh, it's really been good. But uh, that whole process started when I heard about this opening at Hillcrest, and I reached out to Jim and Heather. They were the ones I had to reach out to to start the conversation about uh, applying for this role. Jim and Heather were the leaders of the search team, this group of people you guys had appointed to find the next senior pastor, and uh, they did a great job of representing you and and helping us uh, learn a little bit about Hillcrest and bringing us through the process. Um, But I had to start with the conversation with Jim and Heather. They were kind of the, the first move, the first step to pursuing this new role in my life. And I don't know if you've been in a situation like that before, when you're starting something new in your life. If you're, you're heading into a new job or a new school, a new relationship, um, something new, and a lot of times a person is like the, the starting point for those things. It could be a, a person who's recruiting for a new job, someone you know who knows someone you'd like to meet, uh, someone who helps you volunteer for the first time in a new way. Uh, a lot of times a person is the, the connector for you. It's almost like they're like a doorway that you walk through to move into this new season of life. A mentor, a coach, a supervisor, a friend that helps you make that connection. Um, They are an entryway or or maybe an exit for a certain season of life onto something else. Almost like a gate. This morning we're talking about these I am statements that Jesus shared with his friends and his followers and those who were listening. And we've talked about when Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Another time he said, I am the light of the world. This morning, we're going to focus in on when Jesus said, I am the gate. I am the door. I am the way, the the next step for you. And uh, whenever Jesus would say these statements, there's about seven of them in the Gospel of John. That's where we're going to look at them. When he would say to those who were listening, I am, they were Jewish first century people, Jewish in in their culture. Their minds were hooked when Jesus said, I am the bread of life or I am the light of the world. Their minds went back to the Old Testament They know the story of Moses, and when Moses was before God, and God was saying, I want you to go and do something, and Moses said, well, when I tell these people what to do, who am I supposed to say is telling them to do it? Like, what's your name? All of our little g-gods have names, Moses was saying. What's your name? And God said to Moses, my name is I am that I am. That's my name, I am. That's an interesting name, strange name. But when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, these first century listeners, they would have been hooked back into that Old Testament, I am that I am. They knew that Jesus was identifying himself with God in a unique and special way. We're going to go back to uh, John chapter 10. So if you've got a Bible with you, I just want you to open up to John chapter 10. And we're going to look at this next statement that Jesus says, I am the gate. And talk about what that means for us today. Last week, we were in chapter 9, Jesus uh, interacting with a man who was born blind, and he says, I am the light of the world, and then he brought light to that blind man's eyes. He was able to see. And most of chapter 9 are the religious leaders of the day trying to understand how something good could happen to this man when Jesus had healed, had worked on the Sabbath day. He wasn't supposed to work on the Sabbath, 
And he worked on the Sabbath and yet a good thing happened. And they were trying to figure this out. It didn't make sense in their religious understanding. Because the Sabbath day was a day set apart to not work. And Jesus did work. So how is it that God honored his request? And towards the end of chapter 9, Jesus finally comes to these religious leaders. And he says to them, you are blind. You are spiritually blind. This man was physically blind, but you are spiritually blind. For you, you think that man was made for the Sabbath, that humans were made to observe the Sabbath. But the Sabbath was made for us that we might have a day of rest. And this man having, finding sight on this day is a good thing. God is in this. And Jesus said, you're spiritually blind. And then he continues that conversation in chapter 10. So we're going to pick it up in verse 1. He's still talking to the Pharisees, these leaders who couldn't understand what was going on, what he was trying to say. And he says in verse 1, he says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listens to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Verse 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. I want to pause just for a moment. Keep your Bibles open because we're going to come back. But Jesus used this figure of speech. It's an interesting word that's not used often in the New Testament. We know what figures of speech are. Jesus would sometimes tell these stories, these illustrations to help the people who are listening understand a greater um, knowledge about the reality of a spiritual world, about the kingdom of God. He's trying to help them understand things that were beyond our understanding of humans as finite human beings. So he says, well, it's kind of like this. The kingdom of God is, is like this. And he used illustrations and stories to help people understand. There's one time when Jesus said, I do this so that they will be hearing but not listening, so that they will be looking but not seeing. And, and Jesus was saying, I tell stories like this. I use illustrations because I want to find the people that are going to really lean in to understand what I'm talking about. Those people who are really hungry for the truth, that want to understand what life is all about. And when I tell these stories, when people are, are coming to see Jesus because there's a crowd forming, because he's doing amazing things, because they want to see the show, and Jesus says, I want to make sure that those who are there really to pursue the truth will know the truth, will lean in and hear what's going on. So he tells this illustration, and the Pharisees, they can't pick it up. They're not understanding. So verse 7, therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest." We're going to take time over the next today and next week to talk a lot about shepherds and sheep. They were well known in Jesus's day. The people that were listening to him knew all about sheep. They knew all about shepherds, just like we know all about coffee and coffee baristas. You know, they, they were well aware of sheep. You know, they knew all about sheep the way that we all know about COVID testing now. I mean, they knew these, these, um, these uh, people that Jesus was talking about. And he says, there's a sheep pen, a sheep fold, and there's a way into that place of safety, a gate or a door that you have to use to come into this place where the sheep can be kept safe. If someone tries to get in without using the gate, well, well they're only coming in there for no, they're not coming in for any good reason. They're there to kill 
to steal, and to destroy. So let's take a minute and talk about the sheep pen that Jesus is talking about here. I've got a picture of what a sheep pen might look like in the Middle East out in a field. It's a, it's a wall that the shepherds would use. The shepherds were responsible for the sheep. They were responsible to make sure the sheep had food and water and safety. So during the day, they would let the sheep go out into the field and find food and water. And then at night, they would gather them together and bring them into this safe place, into this sheep pen. Why did they need to bring the sheep in at night um, to keep them safe? It's because sheep taste good, right? <laughs> you ever have a euro, right? Never have a pork chop? Uh, you know, those animals that were out there, those predatory animals, they would love to sit down at their dinner table to, a, a, you know, a, to sheep meat. That's what they were looking for. So they brought the sheep in to keep them safe overnight. They would gather them together. This safe place might be found against a cliff or against the side of a house or maybe even to a cave. This one's in an open field. Uh, but they would build a three or four foot tall wall of stone to uh, surround the sheep and there would be an entrance, and it wouldn't be very wide. It would be wide enough for one sheep at a time to walk in, you know, so kind of a narrow entrance. And then they would place uh, branches and thorns along the top of the wall so that animals would be discouraged from climbing in. And this would keep them safe. And at night, the sheep would be in there, and one shepherd would stay with them, and, and he would stay by the door. He might even sit in the door or sometimes sleep in the doorway, almost like a human door. He would be this gate that would protect the sheep to keep anything from coming in or any of the sheep from wandering out. And in the morning, the rest of the sheep would come back and meet at the gate and bring their sheep out into the fields again. If someone came up to the sheep pen and, and tried to get in without using the gate, Jesus says that they are a thief or a robber. They're not there for the good of the sheep. They're there for their own good, for what they can take. Gate people are doing the right thing. Climbers over the, over the wall, they're doing the wrong thing. The only way in or out is through the gate, the right way. The religious leaders that Jesus is talking to, again, they're familiar with the sheep pens and the sheep, but they're not catching on to what he's saying. They're not understanding what he's trying, the point he's trying to make. And so in verse 7, Jesus says it as clearly as he can. He says, I'm telling you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. I am the way in and the way out. I am the one. Notice Jesus doesn't say, I am a gate. He says, I am the gate. And the illustration he gives is not of a, a house that might have a front door and a back door or some other type of structure that has different entrances. He said, there's one gate. A sheep pen only has one gate so that the sheep are kept safe. He says, I am the door. I am the gate. And Jesus talked about this in other places. Matthew chapter 7, he said these words. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. You know this already, but, but we want life. That's what we want to be about is life. We don't want destruction, right? We want life. We want hope. We want connection and meaning with our creator, God. We want to know that God is with us. His presence and his power is in our everyday lives. We don't want to be held by those who come to steal and kill and destroy. We don't want to be wandering out in the night as wolves and lions seek to take us down. We want to be in the safety of the sheep pen, in the place of protection known by our good and faithful God. When I think about this protected place, when I think about the sheep pen, my mind goes back to when I had little kids, when I had babies, a one-year-old, two-year-old kids, and we had something called a pack-and-play. Any of you ever had a pack-and-play? Yeah, some of you are nodding your head. 
We used to pull this out. We'd go over to a friend's house for dinner and we'd stay for a movie or games and we'd have our little one-year-old who needed to go to bed around, I don't know, 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. Well, the party's still going at that time. So we didn't want to go home, so we'd head to the back room, one of the back bedrooms, one of the dark, quiet places, and we'd set up our pack and play. And, uh, you know, we moved our pack and play from Colorado out here to Kansas City. I've got it here this morning. Because um, you never know when you're going to need a pack and play, right? <laughs> You never know what might happen. So, I mean, you just set these little, these guys up, you pull up the edges and you pop the bottom down and you got a pack and play, you got a safe place for the kiddos. So we'd come back in this little room, we'd take the baby, you know, and we'd set them down inside there with their blanket and we'd put in their stuffed animal and, okay, we'll see you later. And then we'd go back out to the party, you know, while they're sleeping in the pack and play. It was, it's a safe place for them. Our pack and play came with a little mosquito net you could put over the top of it. So if you were out in a park, they wouldn't get bitten up by the mosquitoes. I think it had a second role, and that was to be a lid to keep the kids, you know, once they start figuring out how to climb out, you could just put that mosquito net on, and then they're not escaping from the pack and play. So it's just like, that's what comes to my mind when I think of this safe place. Because we all need that kind of place. I mean, as kids, some of us had these things we stayed in, maybe a crib. But even as adults, there's those times in our lives when we want to have a place of safety, a place where we can step back from the challenges of life, from the, the things, the stresses that pull at our hearts and our minds, and, and we can just rest with God. We can rest with those around us, and we can know that we're okay, that we can be known and, and, and rest. Are you needing a place of safety this morning, a place of security, a place where you are known by God place where you can lean into that strong connection that you have with him that he created you for. We all need those kinds of connections with, with those around us and with our Father God. My wife Angela does counseling with uh, couples and talks a lot about secure attachments with the couples that she works with. Secure attachments are, are what all of us should have in our lives. We should all have experienced and be experiencing secure attachments, but we don't always. We don't always. A, a secure, healthy attachment means I have a a deep abiding confidence in someone else that no matter what I'm going through in my life, no matter how I act or what I'm saying, they are going to stick by my side. They are trustworthy. They are close. They, they stay with me no matter what. And for us, many of us, it should be our mom or our dad. As you get older, it might be a good friend or a coworker. It could be a spouse or a sibling. Someone that, that knows you, that you can trust and they trust you. These kind, we need these kinds of secure attachments to really um, make it through life because life has ups and downs. And as we go through the hard days and the, and the great days, when we have secure attachments, they become deeper. They become more life-giving to us. If you don't have secure attachments, Angela would tell this to couples, there's really two options, two ways that people usually move if they don't have a secure attachment. Either they become anxious and they feel like there's danger around every corner and their anxiety is overwhelming at times, almost like the sheep outside the pen at night with the lions and the tigers. And this anxiousness can overwhelm everyday feeling exposed because you don't have a safe place. That's one extreme. The other extreme is avoidance. Avoidance that you ignore the reality of danger. You, you appear really strong and bold, like everything's okay, that you're in control. But it's only because you're denying reality and you're not allowing yourself to even think about that there might be danger, there might be hardship around me. And that might look good, but you really can't have deep relationships. You can't really have good emotional connections with other people and depth of friendships when you are 
pretending like everything's okay, that there's nothing to be afraid of when you're avoidant. But when you have a safe place, when you have secure attachments, it allows you to adventure and explore life while knowing that there is a place of safety and comfort, a place where you are known and accepted and loved, a place or a person that knows all that you are and accepts you fully, a life, a good life. Life is when we know we're part of something greater than ourselves, a community, a a family of God, a place where we experience the life Jesus is talking about here. He says, I've come that you can have full life, abundant life, a greater life. Jesus describes this life as a place that we are saved into and that we we come in and we go out and we find all that we need. Verse 9, he says, they will come in and go out and find pasture. He doesn't mean that you're going to go out and lay in the yard, right? He means that you're going to have what you need. Sheep need a good pasture. We need things in life. And God says, I'm going to provide what you need. And you're going to go in and come out and, and have this life I created you for. And that language that Jesus uses there, the going in and coming out, that's Jewish language, ancient Jewish language. It meant something to the people who were listening. It would remind them that, that God is with them as they adventure in life, that as they are moving with them, that their movements in their life are empowered and inspired by God that they move in and out with him. We find it in the Old Testament. The psalmist in Psalm 121 writes these words. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. It sounds like the sheep pen, right, that we're talking about. He'll watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming in and your going out, both now and forevermore. There's that language, coming in and going out. And the psalmist says that God will watch over you. This isn't a creepy hidden camera kind of watching. This is, this is a trusted friend, someone that knows you, that is relationally based connection that you have with God, that he is, he is close by and he is with you as you move in and as you go out. When Moses was uh, handing leadership of the people off to another person, he'd led them for 40 years and it was time for a new person to lead. He said these words in Numbers 27, Moses said, may the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and to come in before them. There's that language. One who will lead them out and bring them in so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. He even pulls out that illustration just like Jesus did. The leader Moses wanted for the people was one who would go before them and lead them well. That he would, one that would move under the care and kindness of God. The people who come into the sheep pen through Jesus the gate have this kind of connection with their God, with his presence and and his power. They have what they need in life. And this is what Jesus wants for all people. God wants this for every person that he created. None are left out. Scripture tells us over and over again that God wants all people to experience this kind of life. Paul wrote to his protege Timothy these words in 1 Timothy 2. He said, this is good and pleasing. This is pleasing to God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved, to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Paul says there's one way to be connected to God. There's one gate. And that God wants all people to come to this knowledge. And later, Peter would write, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish not wanting anyone to go down that wide road that leads to destruction, but everyone to come to repentance. It's so important for us to remember that God is extravagant in his love and in his grace for us. 
His will is focused on creating a way for all people to come and experience the life that he created them for. This has been his work since the very first gate was set up in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve pushed away from God and then sin entered into the story and they disobeyed what he asked for them. And God said, I don't want them existing in eternity in this broken state. So he said, you have to leave the Garden of Eden. And then in the entryway, he put an angel, a flaming sword. That's the first gate we read about in Scripture. It says this, this way has been closed by disobedience. And then later on, a new way would be opened through obedience, through the obedience of Christ. And, and, and then God began to work through our known history, bringing about this new gate that would be open to us, the way of life that Jesus creates for us. The first gate was put up because of disobedience. This new gate comes because of obedience. I like how Dallas Willard, who is a, a thinker, a writer, a pastor, he wrote these words about this idea of the narrow gate. He said, the narrow gate is not, as so often assumed, doctrinal correctness. It's not thinking the right way, he says. The narrow gate is obedience and the confidence in Jesus necessary to it. Confidence that to obey and do what God has called you to do. The broad gate, by contrast, is simply doing whatever I want to do. The narrow gate we find through obedience to Christ. The wide gate is just doing whatever it is I want to do. Jesus is the gate, and he opens up for us a way of life as we follow his way, as we understand that we are forgiven by him. We can have this new life. And when we wander away from the gate, well, we're told that the good shepherd will come looking for us. That when we get distracted, when we, we take one of the side roads, one of the wide side roads that we think will lead us to a life that we want, and we wander down that, our heart takes us down that for a little while, eventually we find that it doesn't lead to life, that it leads to, to destruction, to death, to, de- to a dead end. And our hearts have gotten us there, and then we need to be found, we need to be saved. And Jesus talked about the good shepherd that, that comes to find us. In Luke 15, we read, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? When we wander away, Jesus continues to pursue us and beckon us back home, back to the safety and the life of the community that we were created for, those that are his. When we talk about this this sheep pen, it's it's a place, it's not a place of restriction and control. It's it's actually not like the pack and play, you know, where you put a lid on it and it becomes a cage. That's not what the sheep pen is. The sheep pen is a place of safety and freedom where we come in and we go out and we have this attachment with our God that through the ups and the downs of life, we know that he is with us. Jesus is the gate who opens this life of freedom to us. And when Jesus says, I've come that you can have life and life to the full, John writes a Greek word here, the Greek word dezoe, and we find it 36 different times in the gospel of John. John loves talking about this life that we are created for, a real and genuine life, a life that is active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed, a life that is found for those who trust in God. And it's a life that goes on even through death. It doesn't end. And how do you get this kind of life? By going through the gate. Jesus is the gate. Many people think about how they want to connect with this kind of life. They want to know a higher power, some would call it, a source of joy and strength, a place of existence where they have purpose and rest. People want that in their lives. And they talk about, we talk about God the Father as our ultimate relationship. And many people think about trying to reach that place. And I've heard people talk about it like, like, a, like climbing to the top of a mountain. I don't know if you've heard this. I've got my whiteboard once again this morning. 
Let me just, it's a quick picture here, but people talk about like a mountaintop. And at the top is this, this experience we want to have, this kind of life that we want with our creator. And people say, well, there's lots of ways to climb to the top. There's lots of avenues and trails and pathways. And you might be on one side of the mountain, and so the other side of the mountain doesn't, look, doesn't make sense to you. But they're on the other side of the mountain. But they're all heading to the same destination. People find trails walking up here by seeking enlightenment and knowledge. Or they might, you know, get into horoscopes and card readings. Or some people just say, I got, I'm just working really hard to do good things. If I'm good enough, I'll get a ticket. And that ticket will get me into this place, this life that I'm looking for. I got to tell you that Jesus... Jesus doesn't take tickets. He gives grace. That's what Jesus does. He doesn't take tickets. He gives grace. And so people talk about this way of pursuing the ultimate reality and that we're all just trying to climb the same mountain. I don't think this idea gives justice to the different religious systems of our world. If you sit with people of different faiths and talk to them, you realize that they're actually heading to very different places and they're walking in very different ways. This doesn't honor the, the diversity of our planet. I think there's a better way to think about this. And you have to flip the mountain upside down. You have to flip it upside down. So my understanding is that we all start at the same place. That all of us would agree that there's something wrong with humanity. That when we look at the world that we live in, when we look at the pain that, that we cause others, the pain that we cause ourselves, we know there's something wrong in our reality. There is war and conflict and abuse and strife suffering, there's death. We all know there's something wrong with humanity. So we start at the same place together and then we head out looking for a different reality. We want something different than what we know is normal and human. And so we start to head out and people just start heading onto their own pathways trying to find something different, a life that makes sense to them, meaning. And Jesus says, I am the gate. He says there is one way that leads to life. And he says, if you will just trust me, if you will walk to me and enter through me, I am the gate that can bring that to you. Now, some people look at this and they think, this is pretty, that's pretty narrow-minded, Nate. That's pretty exclusive, maybe even judgmental. But when I look at this, I think, how good is our God that in all our reality, he has created and given us a way of life. He has opened up a way to us that we can be forgiven, that we can be in relationship with him again. And Jesus did it in a way that acknowledges what sin is all about. Jesus created this way where we can receive forgiveness and grace. And then he deals with the brokenness of humanity with complete justice and equity. He doesn't just whitewash our sin and our rebellion. He doesn't pretend like it doesn't matter. He deals with it and gives us a way that leads to life. Have you decided to find this life with Jesus? Do you believe that he is the gate and the way that leads to life? This morning, I just want to call you to abandon all the other side streets, all the other avenues that you've been exploring and bring yourself completely to Jesus the gate and allow him to forgive you and bring you life, life everlasting. I remind you that everything you need for this kind of authentic connected life with God is found in Jesus in his life, his death, his resurrection. He's done all that's required that we can have life. What a gift. What a grace. He is the gate. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you in all your wisdom 
and all your love and compassion for us that you have opened up for us a real relationship with you, our creator God. That right now as we're talking to you, you, you hear us, you're here. You're with us. You're not just an idea. You're not off someplace else. You are present right now here in this place with us in our lives. You care deeply about each one of us. You long to be in relationship with us. You're a good father. And you have created us for a relationship with you and with one another. And we're so thankful, Jesus, that you came to be the gate to open up this way of life for us that we can come in and go out and have safety, have good pasture, to know a life of purpose and hope and joy, a life beyond the brokenness of humanity that we experience every day. So Father God, I just pray for each person here. You know the struggle of our lives. You know the avenues that we walk down, the places we go to try to find strength, to try to find what we're looking for. Would you remind us again this morning, Father God, that you, you are the way. Jesus, you are the gate. You've offered us life, life everlasting, abundant life. Help us to turn away from all those other avenues that lead to death and destruction. Only to steal and kill and destroy, Lord. Help us to turn away and walk back to you and receive this life you offer us. Thank you, Father God. It's in Jesus' name that we can pray these things. Amen.